and welcome to a special edition of Last Call. This is not John, but your usual co-host, Will. I am joined here by my regular It A Ogre, Tilt Ogre co-host, Tate-Met. Hey, Will. How's it going? I'm okay. I'm ready to talk about this movie that we saw together, which was... Uh, you want to announce what movie we saw? Welcome to Marwin. Welcome to Marwin, the new Robert Zemeckis movie. Robert Zemeckis. I think it's fair to say one of the best directors of our time uh, yeah living directors he's got he's got a few like perfect movies yeah we eat if you don't uh, know uh probably best known for back to the future who framed roger rabbit um he's also well known for forrest gump, forrest gump which isn't a perfect film but it's very well regarded yeah a lot of people uh, a lot of other films that are uh castaway yeah castaway a lot of people despite the fact that like some Pol- people, a lot of people don't think it's good a lot of people really like the polar yeah, i was gonna say polar express uh yeah that kind of goes into where we are with current age uh zemeckis he's kind of adapt adopted this uh fixation i guess on motion capture mm-hmm. he's i mean polar express kind of put it into the mainstream so i guess he kind of took that success and ran with it with beowulf um christmas carol and uh he did he do anything else motion capture wise after that but till this um well he produced mars Needs yeah Moms. mars Needs mom's but I, I actually recently watched a video on YouTube um, that, like, was explaining, like, the downfall of how that, like, it quickly became apparent that these aren't worth the money that they cost. To right. Make. And so They're very expensive. Yeah. That's why, like, now we have something like Welcome to Marwin, where the motion capture is a part of the movie, but it's not the whole movie. So you're saying that, I mean, I'll, I'll explain the plot in a bit, but do you, are you implying that, like, the whole movie was probably going to be inside the dollhouse? No. No, no, no. Motion capture? I don't think ever that, but I'm saying he's utilizing it in a different way. Sure. Okay. So he's, like, trying to, like... Sub- like uh like subtract the budget but still uses technology yeah he still he still likes the technology and wants to use it but he can't he, he understands that he can't make a full movie out Correct. of it okay. that's that's my understanding of the situation yeah so the film i guess we should explain um the plot loosely it's, it's based on a 2010 documentary called marwin call which is uh based on a real story i believe the guy's name is mark Hollingcamp. hogan camp hogan is it hogan camp i believe yeah so, yeah um he was uh the victim of a traumatic uh, assault where in real life, I mean, as far as it's presented in the documentary, he uh, basically lost every memory in his head. He like had to basically start anew. Uh, he had to like relearn how to, like to walk and talk and everything like that. The movie doesn't, the Welcome to Mar movie doesn't go quite that far, but um, yeah, they give us a brief flashback at the beginning. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it doesn't quite go that far. But in this story, he basically has this miniature town filled with dolls and kind of uh, miniaturettes, where he creates this sort of uh, therapeutic way of like kind of processing the world, almost like it's almost childlike in a way, but like there's kind of like adult. Well, he's also but, he's also also doing it is because he he realizes when after he's lost his memory that he used to be an artist a, right an illustrator uh and so he's using these dolls to take photos and and to um still create art in a yeah. different way because he can't draw anymore right he can no longer write and you get a little bit of the art installations in the documentary but they're very much like just like still pictures that he narrates so I guess Robert Zemeckis, having done The Walk back in 2015, mm-hmm. where he took the documentary Man on Wire, great document, um, where he took that opportunity to basically show or dramatize the full, like, walking on the tightrope across the uh, Twin Towers. He's like, oh, I can use my my great motion capture technology to uh, live in the world of Marwin. 
call, or in this film, Marwin. And uh, I would say that the film is ill-advised at best. Yeah, that's probably the best way to... Yeah, it's very strange, because you can tell, we were explaining, or we were talking about it, like, it's clear that this is a film made by an experienced veteran filmmaker, clearly an Oscar-winning filmmaker, mm-hmm. in the sense that it's well-polished, like, yeah. it's it flows fairly well. I Shot mean, very well. Yeah, it, it, it's... You can't fault the technical mechanics of the film. I mean, beyond the um, CG animation of the yeah, even the pacing, it's it keeps you interested the whole time. Yeah, you can't. You're not really super bored by it, but the like tone. I was <laughs> telling Matt, like as soon as the score began, it's from Alan Silvestri, Silvestri, who is a great uh, composer. Yeah, and I, Back to the Future, the Avengers. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's this guy's done it all. Yeah, um, it's not a bad score, but like as soon as the movie starts, like the score they use, like it's kind of like whimsical, like do 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 full of adventure. It's like, this is not, like, instantly, like, not a shot of footage has been shown, but you can just kind of tell, like, oh, this is not right. I mean, at least I knew, like, having a familiarity with the story. We we should also establish, Will has seen the documentary, Marlon Call, I have not. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, like, I could just tell instantly, this is not right. This is not the tone, the take with this very sensitive, personal story. But, all right, so, we talked a little bit, we explained a little bit about the story. Mm -hmm. I think it's clear that neither of us liked the film, but Matt, kind of go into what your thoughts were, like, seeing the trailers and just, what was your experience heading into the film, and then now, having seen the film, what do you think about it? Well, I should clarify at the top of this that Back to the Future is my all-time favorite movie. It's like, like, I was on Cinemaholics a couple weeks ago talking about how much I love Spider-Man. Um, Back to the Future is, like, separate. It's just my favorite movie of all time. It, like, I love adventure sci-fi movies, and that's what Back to the Future, it's a perfect movie, uh, on it, arguably. And, um... <clears throat> Seen it a million times. And so I always like Zemeckis because Roger Rabbit's another one of my favorite movies. And so seeing the trailer for this, I like Steve Carell a lot. This was months ago. And I was like, oh, that looks weird. But I hope it's good. I would like to see a new good Zemeckis movie. Yeah, you didn't you didn't see his last two, right? No, I haven't. I don't. You didn't see Flight. Either, I don't right? think I've seen a Zemeckis movie since Polar Express. Really? You didn't see Beowulf mm-hmm. or Christmas Carol? Nope. Okay. Um, and even before that, I, I well, never I never saw Castaway either. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. This is the one you had to see. Yeah, it's fine. It yeah. is what it is. Um, but in any case, yeah, I was hoping that it would be good. Uh, Will, when we got out of the theater, you described the movie as the kind of bad movie that only an esteemed director could make. Basically, yeah, I said it's the type of very <laughs> bad film only a truly great filmmaker can make in the sense that like only a filmmaker as talented as the Mechas can make a film like as like we said like as well polished as this but mm-hmm. truly misguided like every decision was wrong in this mm-hmm. creatively yeah but it's not like a faulty made film like you can't say it's incompetent no it's just misguided yeah. completely misguided and, and that's that's i can't imagine a better way to describe it like the, the the um the prequels the Star Wars prequels come to mind in that it's someone with a lot of clout that nobody wanted to argue with them that they probably it just this happened um and the whole thing with this movie is tonally it's all over the place I was never completely sure how I was supposed to feel if I was supposed to be laughing if it was supposed to be awkward if it was supposed to be dramatic and sad I mean there's a part that's supposed to be really dramatic of this movie I think yeah involving a PTSD like incident mm-hmm. that I was biting my hand so that I, cause there were other people in the theater and I didn't want to be rude, but I was, I was cracking up at it because it was hilariously bad. Yeah. I think, uh, not that this really matters, but were we like the youngest people in the audience by like easily 20 years? Well, (laughs) the people behind us were a little younger, but I still think they were probably at least in their thirties. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I think it's not doing well at the box office at all, but I'm guessing it's skewing towards an older audience. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if they're going to, I don't know who this is for, honestly. Like I really do not know. Like I don't, I like you said. I don't know who 
this movie was intended for, and I don't know what it was trying to convey. Yeah. I was explaining this. I was explaining this earlier to you off the air that like I can see with the walk what he was trying to do as far as bringing that documentary into a dramatic form. Sure. Like I can see how he could use his like state of the art technology to make that story. So is there motion cap in that? Not really motion cap, but a lot of green screens okay, and like right. a lot of like a lot. Of, it's very special effects heavy for the crucial. Yeah. Zemeckis loves visual effects. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like I could see how as a dramatic storyteller he could take that documentary and be like, okay, I can see how I can use my talents here and uh-huh. create. A good film. I think it's a good film. It's kind of overlooked as far as his uh, resume is concerned, but it's worth checking out. I wanted to see it. I just never. Yeah, yeah. It, it came and went from theaters, yeah. but uh, yeah, this film. Like, I really like. It's a good documentary. I would definitely recommend checking Marvel it out. Call. Yeah, okay. definitely. If you get a chance, check it out. But it's short too. It's like only eighty minutes. But mm-hmm. I really do not like. I can see it's a good story, but I don't know what Zemeckis, knowing that he knows himself as a storyteller, is like. What can I bring to the story? And I guess it's like. You can kind of get into his head, but like it's it very much is focusing on the wrong elements. I think. Yeah. Maybe not wrong, but like the way he conveys a lot of this sensitive, personal stuff about Mark uh, Hogan Camp, it makes the story, like you said, tonally it's impossible to know what's going on in like any scene. Yeah. The story is so like jumbled as far as like conveying the information it's trying to convey, and it's so like faulty in its like execution as far as like the narrative is concerned that like i there's this like though i don't want to give anything away but there's like very much like personal stuff about hogan camp that's revealed as the film goes on and i think there is like i think there is um i don't want to say sensitivity but there's like a sympathy there's sympathy towards his character mm-hmm. but there's not really that like sensitive in that approach like it's very blatant in how it's made like, it's very bombastic, I guess, in yeah. how it's approach. Yeah. And it, it never feels authentic. Mm-mm. And that's a big issue is that, like, I think for a film like this, the reason why the documentary works is that throughout it all, it's authentic. Like, it, it has, like, weird jumps. It has sort of odd turns and twists. But it's ultimately true to Hogan Camp's story. It's a stranger fiction type story. Mm-hmm. But as a narrative film, it never quite captures that... Because I think, for one, Mark Hogan Camp is just not there. Like, not the real Mark Hogan right. Camp. But I just don't... Like, again, I don't honestly know what Zemeckis was doing here. Yeah. It's a shame. Like I said, I mean, like you said, I mean, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that's one of my all-time favorite films. I talked yeah. about that on the uh, Happy Time Murders Another episode. arguably perfect movie. Yeah, I think it's perfect. I really enjoyed that movie a lot. And I have a lot of respect for Zemeckis. I like most of his movies. Yeah. But this one, yeah, is... I would say it's his worst. You think? I think, yeah. I was looking over his resume. I haven't seen everything, but of what I've seen, I really don't think he's made a film this bad in his whole career. <laughs> yeah. I still, I'd be so curious to see his Yellow Submarine that he was going to make. I was curious about that, day. too. Yeah, I mean, even though I, I never really liked this motion capture, I guess we, so you, you only saw Polar Express, you said. and Correct. Uh, where'd you stand on that? I, I, I don't hate it. Okay. I, I do. I see why people aren't crazy about it. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it in several years, but I understand why people feel that children have dead eyes and whatnot, and mm-hmm. that it's creepy. Uncanny Valley, Uncanny thing. Valley, all that. But that never bug, bugged me because it okay. always struck me as like a painting. Like it, it looked like Chris Van Allsburg's, if that's the author of mm-hmm. the Polar Express's name. Um, it, it looked like his illustrations to me. So it, uh, as a kid, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I have mixed feelings towards it. I think it's not terrible, but it's not nearly as good as people make it out to be yeah i remember liking beowulf when i saw it yeah but i rewatched some of it and it 
animation does not hold up. Yeah. And I, I will say that the animation in this film is not good. Uh, I would disagree with that. You think so? I think this animation is actually pretty good. It's Yeah, it kind of weaves and flows because there's... I mean, should we talk about the one transition scene that we get? Oh, uh, yeah, that's but that's not animation. That's just editing. Well, it's a little bit. Yeah, it's it, yeah they well, there's okay. Should we? I mean, well, honestly, do we need to at some point get into spoilers on this thing or? You might as well. I mean, do you have anything more non-spoilery to say about the film? Yeah, we can we can wait on spoilers. I mean, I'll say like perform. I, I will talk a little bit about the performances if you want. Yeah, yeah let's do the um, I think all things considered. Steve Carell gave a good performance. Yeah, I agree. I think he did as well as he could have. I think he portrayed Mark Hogan Camp fairly well. Yeah. As far as like, you know, especially having seen the documentary. Michael Scott screams aside. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, but that's the thing. Like, considering how awkward and uneven the tone is, I commend him for doing as well as he could. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment. And I think, I mean, all the, there's no bad performance, but. Every female character, or, or, super underwritten. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's every every woman character in the film is very very underwritten. It's a shame because like I mean Leslie Mann, talented actress, mm-hmm. um, uh, Janelle Monae is in the film who's great. I think she's the best part of uh, Hidden Figures. As I mean, just talking about her acting career, um, and I thought her character was severely underwritten. She's in one scene. Um, well, she's in a couple of right as, as an action figure. Yeah. That's the thing. But she the, did the motion capture for that. Right. right? Yeah. The 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 um the trailers make this out like it's going to be these women are like a big part of his life and then they're also represented in the action figures. But like with the exception of um who's the woman who works at the hobby shop? I forget her character's name. Yeah, I don't know the actress. You know, okay, well, there's a woman who works at a hobby shop. And I apologize for forgetting the actress's name. And then Leslie Mann's character. All of these other women of Marwin, quote unquote, appear in approximately one other scene. Right. As actual humans. And most of those are in the trailer. It, it, they're all, they don't serve any purpose. They don't have any arc aside from they want to help. Besides helping our white male lead yeah. protagonists. And, and that's an issue, but I mean. Yeah, one, one could make the argument, well, that doesn't serve this story, but it's a two-hour movie, and you can have a B plot or two. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I think <laughs> it really makes me question like how Zemeckis has portrayed women in his films. Yeah, like I mean, I was go- I was willing to cut him some slack with like you know Roger Rabbit, like Jessica Rabbit. And it's yeah. like kind of seeing it's like sex symbol. Yeah, because it's like a parody in that. Right. Movie. Yeah, but like now that I think about it, like I mean. I mean, I haven't seen Contact, but... You figure that was also a different time, though, too. Like, the the, yeah. the current moment is significantly different than 89. Is that when Roger Rabbit came out? Yeah. I'm not just singling it to Roger right, Rabbit. Right, I know, but, but I'm, I'm saying, like, in the 80s, though. The 80s and the early 90s. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't want to cut him too much slack for that. I'm not, but, I'm not. I mean, you could make the argument that Jenny in Forrest Gump has a pretty solid arc. Like, yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's she fair. has her a full story. She's a round character, you know. It's... Yeah, and we're not the guys to talk about. No, this. of course not. Yeah, yeah, I don't two, want two yeah. white males, yeah, two straight yeah. white males. Right, I don't want to divulge the point too long because right. they're certainly. Uh, better the point is, if if two straight white guys from the Midwest, yeah, can tell that the females are underwritten, sure, it's pretty apparent that yeah. the females are underwritten. Yeah. Like... Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I think like cinematography is decent. Um, like I said, I really can't fault anything from a production standpoint. It's really just the script, yeah, the script and the direction. Bad. Very bad. Uh, but we'll talk about more our uh, grievances with the film. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll give our quick grades, um, and then we'll talk a little bit, if you want to hear about our more spoilery, ranty mm-hmm. things about the film. Because yeah, Matt I, has a lot he has to say but about... But it all involves uh, the third act, yeah. About big twists in the film, which, I mean, I would not recommend you watch this film. Yeah, so and, honestly, I'm going to explain it in the spoilers, so... 
if you, yeah. if you, you know, with the intent that there are people going to be listening to this that haven't and yeah. won't see the movies. So. And uh, please feel free to check out the documentary. I don't think the movie, I don't want anyone to feel discouraged from checking out Mark oh, okay. H- uh, Hogan Camps. Or actually recommend you look at the real stuff and check out his real uh, profile. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm going to give the movie a D plus. Yeah, I'm going to do the same D plus. Yeah, it's like I said, I, I we'll talk about more why we give it that. It sounds pretty low because it's like we just kind of sound like we're like in C territory right now. But like really, the creative decisions that they take are atrocious. Yeah, there were a couple times that I turned to Will and was just like, "What the heck are we yeah. watching?" What I almost this? I debate. I don't know if I ever told. I was debate. Yeah, yeah you, I was gonna walk out for one segment just because I wanted to break. Yeah, and I, I never do that. Yeah, like, you don't. I, yeah, yeah. wasn't the only time you ever left a movie when you saw the Phantom Menace? Yeah, well, that was not really, like I couldn't. It was because your brother right, was too loud. Hell, he's having a meltdown. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, very, very rarely do I ever feel the need to, like, leave a movie unless, like, I have to go to the bathroom or something. But, so, yeah. th- that'll give you a preview into how we feel about the film. So, and and just to clarify, the only reason that it's a D plus and not, like, a D minus or an F or a normal D is because the the technical, like, technically it's a good, it's a well-made film. That's what I mean. Like, for that and Steve Carell's performance, yeah. I can't. You can't completely write it off. Like, I feel like, like, I, there's a part of me that wants to give it, like, a C minus for yeah. that, but, like, I just think. What is so bad about this film is so misguided that I mm-hmm. feel like it's not fair. And like, no one should watch deep. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even. Is this even worth hate watching? Uh, like to watch to laugh at? I don't. I feel like it's not funny enough to laugh at. What's well, like, uh, we'll talk about that more in a bit. But right. I don't honestly know. Like like anything that's funny. Like I feel bad about laughing, even mm-hmm. when the movie wants you to laugh about. Right. It. Yeah. Because it's like awkward. They get yeah. The whole tone. What's well, I, mean, well, I mean? It's about it's about a serious like a real life guy. Yeah. Who went through this terrible traumatic situation? So you don't want to laugh at this, right? Because it's a thing that legitimately happened. Yeah, I mean it's a serious thing, and I, f- I mean you feel awful for the guy. I mean he, I can't even imagine what he went through. But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I just really, I mean, like I said before, I do not know what Zemeckis wanted to achieve with this film. And having seen the film now, I still don't know. Yeah, I, that's how I felt about the trailers. That's how I, I definitely feel that now. So. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about spoilers. So, yeah, so official gonna... spoiler warning. Yes. Um, like I said, don't bother unless you want to check out the documentary. But we're <laughs> going to um, talk a little bit more in depth about our individual, like, nitpicky grievances with yes. the film. Yes. Uh, so, should we start with the big one, or should we move to that towards the end? Let's work up to that, because we want to okay. talk about that transition that we teased earlier, because I don't want people to... Yeah, let's, let's start there. So, there's a, a couple times in this movie, does it transition from... Real life to the dolls. And I'm, I'm calling them dolls because he calls them dolls. That's yeah. not like a uh, call out or anything. But yeah. No, you're not dismissing yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not dismissing it. They're, they're call, he calls them dolls. Um, so there's a there a couple times it transitions from like the real actor to that actor as a doll in the CGI, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, those transitions are really solid. But there's one towards the beginning of the movie whenever Steve Carell's character, Mark, first goes to work. The first time we see him go to work. And he brings not meatball day. Not on meatball day. He brings up something that um, he's talking to another coworker about, and then he like looks at a bulletin board, and then it fades into it a, triggers a memory. It triggers a memory and goes into a sequence. Um, at the end of which we see the action figure Steve Carell turn into the real Steve Carell. And yeah. for whatever reason, this transition makes the transition in the end of Saving Private Ryan yeah look like. Um, into the Spider Verse of anime, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, the, I guess the way that most filmmakers, I mean, if I had to assume, would have shot this was like, if you had to have this idea, you would just like you'd have the motion capture Steve mm-hmm. Carell all turn, 
cut like what like a over the shoulder shot of the woman like Mark, are you okay? Cut back to Steve Carell, but it's real Steve Carell. Right. But for some reason, Zemeckis and his like I got my G Wiz wonderful technology here. He decided to basically do that, except when he cuts back to Steve Carell, it's still the doll. But he like kind of like does like the mask kind of like transition. Yeah, it, like fade. It's like a crossfade, but like a morph. It's a morph, right? That's so what. That's like a, it's like that morph when like the mask, the Jim yeah. Carrey movie, like takes off the mask and he, like does like the. Yeah, it's it looks horrible and like yeah. hilarious. His face literally extends like it, he tur- out. he like turns around. His, right, his body is facing a different direction. Right, and in the background like spins almost. Yeah, it's it's, it's jarring. And it's funny. And like, I really hope that GIF comes out. Yeah, we, <laughs> I cannot do it. I can't. Yeah, do you'll it again. Don't we don't recommend the movie, but whenever it comes out, we'll try to find this GIF. Yeah, it's, it's, it's. I I audibly like shook. Like I or not audibly. Like I uh, involuntarily like yeah, shook. You shuddered. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't help it. Like it was like. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there's that. Um. Any what else? So well, I was just thinking like um. Imagine the Zemeckis like commentary, like you know what I love about that shot. It's just how seamless it is. Because <laughs> it's just not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Should we talk about how like the whole town? Oh um, yeah, the whole so so this not the town of Marwin. No no no, like the town that Marwin is in. Yeah. Like Steve Carell, real Steve, real life Steve Carell's town. So the uh, the town that. The movie takes they place. They ever see what it's called? They, I don't believe they do, which probably is for e- the better because every town USA. Yeah, every town USA. It's it's clear clearly like a smaller town. It's, well, they say it's in upstate New York. That's not, yeah. that's all they give us. Which is where actual Mark right? Li- yeah. Um, but based on the events of this movie, it seems like no one either nothing else happens in this town or no one else cares about anything in this <laughs> town because everyone knows Mark. Yeah, everyone. Like, everyone. They always stop by his house. They always stop by, <laughs> and they're always talking about. What he's up to, like, at one point, Leslie Mann's character comes up to him and is like, hey, I saw you on the news. I, I saw what was happening to you on the news. It's just horrible. Yeah, like, and <laughs> um, there's another scene where he's in a hobby shop getting his dolls, and he accidentally turns the TV <laughs> right, on, yeah. and it just happens to be playing a news report about, about yeah. him. <laughs> so we're led to believe, because that's the only two times I think we ever see the TV, mm-hmm. that just 24-7 news coverage is always about Mark Hall and Camp <laughs> and what's going on with his trial and uh, just general <laughs> updates. I think like like it, you compared it to the Truman Show, and I think that's yeah, basically like what... <laughs> yeah, our it, friend Mike said that, actually, yeah, but yeah, sorry. you're good. Um, but yeah, so, so there, there's that, and um, I guess, should I just get into the third act thing that made me the, angry? The thing that really... Grinding your gears, grinding my gears, and, and uh, through, through my fandom and my the face, straw and that broke the camel. It made me mad. Yeah. Well, well, I should I should establish. So there's there's a character in this movie, um, the, that's a Belgian witch. Yeah. That, who isn't re- like? Well, I guess I explain that this character's kind in the documentary, but not like overtly to the extent the, yeah. that she is in the movie. She's a blue woman. No, her hair is blue. Her, her hair, hair is blue, right? She's normal color, but she's like a doll that Mark has oh, in his house. Let me say it one time. Like, oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, she's a normal doll that has blue hair, um, and they really lay it on thick that she represents his addiction to the pills that he, the painkiller pills that he's been taking. Because mm-hmm. um, she's the same color as the pills. When she disappears, it it makes it takes the form of a little pill. Mm-hmm. She lays out the pills next to it. Like, again, they really lay it on thick here. <laughs> the only way they could lay it on thicker is if the movie wasn't 3D and somehow through 3D technology you could 
put the pill into our laps. Into our, yeah, yeah handed us yeah. the pill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She, she even at one point says, "I am your addiction." Right. I think. Yeah. So it's like <laughs> it's very overt. But um, yeah. So she fulfills that role, and it's I don't remember the actress's name, but it's the woman in the National Diane Kruger. Yeah, movies. Diane Kruger. Diane Kruger. Okay. Um, yeah. So she's there, and um, throughout the whole movie, she's like in a perch on in Mark's house kind of tormenting him, like yeah. telling him things, but he thinks he loves her, but he's also not sure. She's always appearing in the background. Another thing that I really wasn't sure what they were going for with her, because they kind of, at one point they kind of imply it's like the ex wife. Oh, I never got that. I don't know. Cause they, they allude to the wife. Yeah. He said, he like noted notes that he was married. Right. Before everything happened. But I don't know if that was what that was supposed to take away. Cause otherwise it's just like, I don't, I don't know what they're going for. Yeah. In any case, at one point without warning, the, the event that sets off the third act of this, of this movie is she comes to Mark when he's asleep and wakes him up and says, I need you to build me a time machine. Quick zoom in on uh, <laughs> girl's eyes, I think. Yeah. Because um, one of the things that she does as the Belgian witch, because like, we should establish Marwin is a town in Belgium in this fantasy of Steve Carell. Yeah. Well, I mean, they make painfully uh, exposition points to note that this is not a real town. Yes. But rather a combination of the name Mark. 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 And Wendy, when... Wendy is the woman who saved or who found him after he had gotten beat up. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Which I don't think was ever established in the documentary, (laughs) but in any case. Yeah. Um, So she turns him and... So so as the Belgian witch, she brings the Nazi soldiers back to Oh, yeah, there are a lot of Nazis in the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't even think we ever got around to mention We never mentioned the Nazis. Uh, She, like, brings them back to life, but then she also, I guess, sends... People, like he at one point, Steve Carell's character, the, the action figure character Hoagie, saves a milkmaid, um, and then she gets shot by a Nazi, and then the witch sends her, what, fifteen million years into the future or something? Yeah, yeah it, and that's like what she does. She sends people into the future, which is something that is taken from the documentary, but it's like an aside, right? Not the third I mean, act. Yeah, so she turns to Mark and says, I need a time machine because I guess now she needs to go to the future, yeah. which I don't understand why she can't use her witch powers it's to very send herself into the... Bit, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, she needs a time machine. So Mark complies and builds a time machine. And this yeah. is the part that made me mad because Because like, at this point, you see like he grabs like a lava lamp and like... Yeah, he gets a lava lamp. You don't really lamp. know like what is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, What the time machine is going to be. You just know a time machine. And like the actual time machine in the documentary is like a VCR that's like filled out with like like a cell phone and like little other gadgets and knickknacks. So then you remember that Robert Zemeckis, the esteemed director and co-writer of Back to the Future, is the director and right. co-writer here. And so Mark holds up the time machine and it's a semi-Lego car mm-hmm. that is clearly made to look like the DeLorean from Back yeah. to the Future. And then he says, and I quote, yes, it, of course it flies. And he presses a button, which causes all of the four wheels to turn sideways, a la the end of Back to the Future. And uh, if you listened really quietly in the theater, you could hear Matt's soul dying just a little bit that moment. Again, Back to the Future is my all-time favorite movie. This made me livid beyond yeah. anything. I was right next to him. He was very mad. Yeah. And, well, because not it, it, well, the, the, do- the car itself didn't make me mad at first. I was just kind of like, all right. It's lame, but Yeah, whatever. it's lame, but whatever. But then, in like the fantasy world... They turn on the time machine, and it makes all of the same sound effects mm-hmm. as the DeLorean. They play the time score. machine. They well, yeah. they like they like reference the score, but it's not the it's not a direct. But I thought they played like at least like two like little like beats like do do. Maybe I don't know. Um, the car has the time travel effects. It's like the blue sparks that 
jump off the front of it, just like in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. So it's all the visual sound, of, it's the visual effects and the sound effects. Just and then whatever, digging it in. Yeah, really just, hey, look, remember when I made Back to the Future 30 years ago? Mm-hmm. And then the car jumps off into the future and it, of course, leaves two twin trails of flames. Yeah. And that was the moment that I was completely done and mm-hmm. completely livid. Which is about, that's like the climax of the film. Right, yeah. Because um, it's him beating his addiction, I guess, because he sends her to I, the future. Yeah, we, I I feel like if we even tried to explain half the things this movie, we could not like really do justice to how, like cuckoo bananas this is yeah those of you who are listening to this without having seen the movie i hope we've explained it enough just to make sense but even it doesn't even make sense to us so if it doesn't that's why um uh yeah i don't i don't know as far as that uh decision is concerned i don't know if it was so like i said in the documentary um they have a time machine but it's kind of like an aside Mm -hmm. i don't know if zemeckis when he saw the film and he decided, I'm going to do this story as my whatever film as a director. If he was just like, okay, I need a time machine. And like, that's the Eureka moment. Or uh, if he saw the movie and he was like, they have a time machine. It's perfect. I made a movie about a time machine. Or if the studio was like, hey, uh, Rob, we, uh, we saw the script. We noticed there needed to be a time machine. Just throwing us out there. We're universal. What if you reference Back to the Future? He's like, guys, quit drilling. You have hit oil. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that makes me the most upset about this, and this is something that I actually only just realized now. I must have subconsciously realized yeah. it, but it's that it's pretty well known that um, Universal doesn't have the power to make a Back to the Future sequel. For whatever reason, in the con- original contract, it's up to Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. There will never be a Back to the Future sequel without their approval. Yeah. And they have always said that they have no intentions of ruining the story by trying to extend I mean, it. Why bother? Yeah, exactly. We, we already did the perfect thing, whatever. Yeah. This has me worried that maybe he's going to go back on that promise and try to bring it back. I mean, if this is his state of mind. Exactly. Making this film, what else is going through that brain? Yeah. And so it's troubling to yeah. say the least. I don't know. I mean, you did hint that, like, Phil Lord and Chris Miller may or may not be interested in doing some kind of reboot sequel thing. I guess if they had to do it, they'd be the people. If, if it was anyone, I would trust them to do but it. But even still, like, I mean. I don't we, want that. I mean, really don't. I mean, not to dive too deep they're, into they're Back my, to the Future, but. Yeah, well, I'm, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are my favorite working writer-directors in sure. Hollywood. And Back to the Future is my favorite movie. And I don't want those things to associate right. with each other. Like, that's right. that should say enough. I, feel like. I just don't, like, like. Like, even if you wanted to do, like, Star Wars thing, like, it's so self-contained. It's just those three, well, I guess primarily two, and then, like, a couple side characters. But really, I mean, it's, like, five characters at most. Yeah. Story focus. And it's not like Star Wars, where it's this where big, have, expansive yeah, universe. Yeah. It's just, like, two or three characters are yeah, it's aware just a of the time who, machine. Yeah, he makes a mistake, and he's trying to fix it. Like, right. It's, it's, it's a pretty simple story, so, all things considered. I don't think you can do, like, an Into the Spider-Verse, uh-uh. Force Awakens-type reboot uh-uh. with this property. So, in any case... Um, back to Marwin. Back to Marwin. I mean, how long are we going on here? We're like? at 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, well, we can bring up the uh, scene that we both love so much. Oh, the the, the scream? The, yeah. <laughs> this is the part I alluded to earlier with the PTSD moment yeah. that made me laugh. So, Mark's, Mark, Steve Carell's character, is watching a porno, right? Yeah. Adult the, film, yes. Yeah, an adult film that uh, stars... Uh, Robert Zemeckis' wife. wife. I believe it's Robert Zemeckis' <laughs> wife. Uh, yeah. 
which is one of the other women of Marwyn, which another thing that's just not really ever explained. She's in the hometown, apparently. Oh, is she? I think they say that at one point. Oh, okay. Well, in any case, she's on the TV, and it's in, in a stereotypical adult film fashion, a man comes to the door, like a plumber or a pizza Dish, delivery guy pizza or something, yeah. and he, like, yells something, and then the movie immediately <laughs> turns... <laughs> the movie turns him into a Nazi doll. Yeah. Like, just the head. Just, oh, no, it's his whole body. Really? Okay. Sure. Yeah. I thought it was just the head. And he starts yelling, and he has the complete like d- dumbest, dumbest, yeah. Yeah, dumbest expression on his face, yeah. too. It's like teeth sticking out. Poorly like, yeah. And then it, like, zooms in real, real close. And then Steve Carell screams in a completely Michael like Scott, Scott yell. Like, no! And it is hilarious. And I don't, I think it was supposed to be, like, a, like, troubling, disturbing moment. For our protagonist, because it's like, the character's like an emotional bottom. Yeah. So it's like, not like a time for jokes. No, not at all. But Especially not in this poor of fashion. Yeah, he just um, starts screaming. And I think that scene alone, like, like I, it's out of context in the film. <laughs> I can't imagine showing that clip to anyone out of context. And yet, I feel like that scene is a perfect... Algamation of... Like, um, a perfect microcosm yeah. of the whole movie, yeah. So with that, I guess we'll wrap it up. I mean, there's not. I mean, there's a lot we can say, but I think we'll choose not to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would not, not recommend this movie. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's it's a shame because we both like the director a lot. We both are big fans of Zemeckis' work and Steve Carell. Yeah, obviously. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's. I think everyone involved has proven themselves in some way <laughs> or another. But I think no one told Zemeckis to no on this script or this project, and I. That, or they just were like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really work now. Like, maybe, you know, Zemeckis is good. He'll, he'll figure it out. Like, sometime, like, we, we don't see it now, but he, he has a big picture. Yeah, in his this, brain. it'll come together. And yeah, it, and it just never did. It did not. That's, like, basically what happened with the prequels. So, mm-hmm. uh, with that, uh, yeah, I mean, if you see it, you're on peril. Um, <laughs> maybe when it comes out on HBO or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I would not pay money to see it. No. I mean, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Universal. Sorry, guys. I mean, sorry, Zemeckis. Yeah, everybody. I'm sorry sorry to everyone involved. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, all things considered, I don't, I do think they had good intentions. Like, I don't, I don't don't think it's like a nakedly cynical film. Definitely not. But it's a terrible one at all the same. (laughs) So I think we'll end it there. Yep. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next week with a regular episode of Cinemaholics. From the internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Will. And from the internet of Pennsylvania, I'm Matt. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.